0: under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, are a special rank, and they belong to him. And we must take care with how we would treat them. I want to take you back to one of the first passages of the New Testament in regard to our topic and our occasion today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, first epistle that the Apostle Paul no doubt wrote, and of course the Bible was not written as it is compiled, and perhaps the first book of the New Testament actually to be written. The Gospels were added, later the book of Acts, and of course John wrote his Gospel way late, years later. And so as we look this morning at 1 Thessalonians, uh, we're looking at an early writing of Paul, and in chapter 5 he deals with these early issues of what it means to be a flock and what it means to be a shepherd. And this morning I want to talk about three things that are in this passage, verse 12 through 22. The first is addressed to the flock and how to treat the shepherd or the leaders of the flock. That's verses 12 and 13. Verses 14 and 15 speak to the leader, the pastor, and how he is to treat the flock. And then the third component of this passage, beginning in verse 16 going through verse 22, has to do with the the outcomes of this man's ministry in the life of the sheep, the life of the flock. They first must characterize his life, and I bring you good news that they do characterize Ref. He's a known commodity, isn't he? So it's a delight for me to personally be here, to be honored to be here, to be a part of this. So we want to talk about these three things, but these three things have a context. The essence of this passage had to do with the peace of the church and the the unity of God's body, which is uh, in jeopardy, has been throughout history. One of the most precious things in the possession of this church is its peace, its concord, its unity. One of the hardest things for you and me as (laughs) former pagans has saved Sinners. Is to maintain a relationship with one another as members of the church, concord and peace and order, and therefore decency. You know how Satan would love to destroy that thing It's always under attack. But it's vital for you and me because without it, you and I cannot have peace in our hearts, peace in our marriages, peace in our families. And these verses of 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12 through 22 are in a context of the Apostle Paul writing about future times and I th- think personally there's a reference to World War 3 in verse 3 of this passage he says in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians now concerning the times and the seasons brothers you have no need to have anything written to you you see Paul had been there he started his church He spoke on this many times. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord... Now that's a phrase that speaks of that era that begins with the tribulation and goes to the millennium. Those seven years are grievous years. Years of pain, years of wrath, years of destruction. In those seven years, beginning at the middle of the seven, no doubt, the battle of Armageddon. On one occasion during those seven years. Revelation tells us that uh, 30% of the earth's population is destroyed. On another occasion, the remaining percentage, 50% of those are destroyed on planet earth. Oh, to live through that. Now the scriptures teach, I think, the church will be removed from that, but even coming up to that time, notice he says here, for you yourselves, verse 2, are fully aware of that that day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now here's the context. God wants unity to exist in the local church type of concord and one mind and one heart that is not dependent upon circumstances for that even in an era of war and bloodshed and great havoc God wants your life and my life to be composed from above from heaven not contingent upon circumstances in the neighborhood in the county, the city throughout the state, throughout the country a peace that is dependent upon God. He wants to teach us how to do that in this passage. Turn over further in chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. He says, For God has destined us not for wrath, and I think that's a reference to the tribulation, but to attain salvation. And that is not to when you were saved, when you were justified, but rather to your deliverance our escape from that wrath through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we awake or are asleep, we might live with him. Now look at verse 11, the immediate context. Therefore encourage one another. Parakaleo, I comfort you, I counsel you, I encourage you. You know, Brother Raph, his second name is actually Barnabas, son of encouragement. That hug, that smile, that embrace, that attaboy. I've been in this church since 1985. Raph was doing that the first day I met him, hugging and saying attaboy. It's the most gentle word, apart from the word love of God or the peace of God in the New Testament. Periclesis, comfort, often translated encourage, or even admonish, or warn. Ralph has had this ministry in your midst. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing, verse 11. Now he wants to climb into this and get at some of the integral parts of this atmosphere as to how we can, in a time of war, a time of calamity, a time of chaos, A time when things are not going the way you want them to go. Maybe that's in your family or in the shop or the office, the community. They're not going the way you want them to go or I want them to go. No, no, they're grievous. But the way God wants them to go. That you and I are encouraging one another and build up one another. God does not want the church to be a place of destruction. A place of making people torn down, insecure, criticized, but rather strengthened. Instead, when we come here on Sunday, we feel relieved when we finally get here because of where we have been throughout the week, in the shop, or the office, in the mayhem, and the bedlam that's out there. How is God going to compose your life, in my life? Well, it's through this man. And you and I, then, are in turn to build up one another and encourage one another at the seminary on our campus our Moody campus when we started in 85 was privileged to be a part of the initial huddling of faculty members and staff and the professors and I prayed at length and many times about how we related to one another we Develop a credo among us. And I promise, and they promise me, we promise one another that we would never say anything negative about another person on the faculty until we first talk to him or her about it. Whoa. You see how tight a faculty is, how tight the elders are in a church, the pastoral staff is in a church, is the most powerful message that you can deliver, either on campus or in the church facility. How pastors, how elders, deacons treat one another. Everybody watches that. And for men to love one another, to respect one another, is a powerful, powerful thing. Now the verses we're going to talk about, verse 12 and 13, has to do with the charge for the church in relationship to the leaders. 14 and 15 turns it around and talks to the pastor and then it's summed up in verse 16 through 22 to the outcomes those things that you and I so deeply desire and need in our lives that God wants to produce they're listed there for us very easily now look at the charge to the church as we look at this charge and read it we're to understand that God wants follow this carefully now God wants the church the local church to be the safest place on earth You may get beat up in the office or the shop. Things may not go well for you on the freeway or on the subway. Or even in your home. But the safest place on earth is to be the local church. He says to the church in verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves or live in peace with one another. Those are Paul's earliest words to the church on how to behave in church. He says, respect your leaders. Esteem them highly in love. The kind of respect that God wants you and me to have for Police officers, for our physicians, people who take care of us. We are to hold them in high regard in three ways. One is for their work, not because of their position. We are to hold Raph highly, not because he's the pastor. No, no, no. It says here because of his work. It says it twice. Respect them who labor among you who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We've had pastors and elders across our land, it's in the news these days, who've abused that office. We respect them, not because they happen to have that title, no, 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 because of the kind of work that they do. The kind of work that God is interested in. Wrath is here not to be served, but to serve. God calls upon him to be willing to lay down his life if it need be. Not to be a hireling, but to love because he loves God, the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd set the example, he gave his life. And therefore, any under shepherd is to be willing to lay down his life. And the apostles, they all did that eventually. And in Mark chapter 10, he lines you and me up as those who serve to do the same thing. Not to make it our call to be to be martyrs, no, no, no. But if it's necessary to give up our lives for Christ, the true servant says, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Ralph is like that, the kind of guy. It's not about himself. not about name, recognition. His, lights, his name and lights. It's about the flock, God's flock. God wants God to man to do three things: provide guidance to the flock, provide protection, and provisions. Ralph, I hope you'll spend a lot of time teaching this flock what those three things are: guidance, how God, man, is, represents God's presence among His flock to guide them in terms of decisions they're going to be making. Teach them how to make good decisions about schooling, about Home, about their marriages about careers guidance God says my presence is among you to guide you through life because you need divine guidance as a shepherd is present among the flock and lives among the flock he makes sure that they have protection and also the provisions of God God is very interested in that happening and so the work of the man is critical Secondly, he mentions that God puts him in charge over you. Just as law enforcement officials have been put in charge of the peace and the order of our streets to control mayhem and that the police rule in in this neighborhood. And rightly so. Because without it, you and I would be in great trouble. And in the same way, spiritually, this man, the elders of this church, are over those spiritual matters in your life and my life. They are keys to peace in your life. They are keys for you to learn how to live in Concord at home and to find peace at work and in school because our community, our culture, our world is given to chaos. And a special pipeline comes through this man and he is the key to unity in this church. And so respect him for that. He is in charge. He will give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And you and I could make his job miserable. Not much to drive by here once a day and throw a rock. Doesn't take much to do that. But to take the joy first, not first, but uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, talks about Making his job a job of joy. He's going to give an account. We don't want him to give a bad report, a tough report. And so esteeming him, respecting him. For not only the work he's, but the charge, the responsibility that he has. He says thirdly here, that he is your instructor. The latter part of verse 12. He's to instruct you or to admonish you. Children need parents in the home. You look at a home, you know, the measure of a maturity of a home is not with the children. My wife and I have four who are now married and having grandchildren. And that uh, the the measure of the strength of a church and stability of a home uh, is, is not with the children. Children run through the house and they scream and holler and and you look at them, and they're in the midst of a ruckus all the time. How do you look at a family and tell whether it's stable or not? We well, look at Dad and Mom, their relationship, their peace, their concord. If Mom and Dad have one mind, one heart, that's a good family. There can be some screaming around, some ruckus, some dust flying. But that's okay because there's concord there's stability in that household the same in church people will come here God will lead people here to hear about Christ they've come from fighting in the alley from street fights from living in the gutter they don't know a thing about God they don't know a thing about God's ways and then they come in here and they need perhaps to take a bath and They don't know how to sit still, and they don't know they get up and leave in the middle of a service, and so there's all kinds of ruckus that they create when they come in. Well, the stability of a church is measured really not with necessarily the behavior of the people, but rather with what's going on on the board, what's going on with the shepherds. And so he gives these triad of responsibilities to the church to respect him for these three reasons. Now let's turn to Ralph. There's a charge in verse 14 and 15 for the leader, the pastor. Uh, He says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to to one another and to everyone. Now in these two verses, this charge provides a... A profile. Get this. God gives this shepherd a profile of four targets that, that to really simplify the ministry. Uh, first of all, look at those who are idle, or actually, the text is saying uh, those that are in disarray or who are disturbed. The word is often used of. Uh, Soldiers uh, who are breaking ranks, uh, who are running for their hides, and they're in chaos because of a breakdown of the military. That's a word for them. And they are in idle, perhaps. Uh, in fact, they're not just necessarily sitting still asleep, but they're not cooperating. They're not in line. They're out of line. They're disruptive. Now, that's the first feature of the profile. Ralphie's saying, note those. Those that cause discord, who are divisive. Uh, The shepherd wants to take quick and early notice of them because it can bring the unity and the peace of the church in jeopardy. And we'll come back in a moment and talk about what he does, what you're to do with regard to a person like that. The second part of the profile is the faint-hearted, those that are uh, perhaps uh, down-spirited are struggling emotionally or spiritually. You can keep your antenna up, Ralph, about those who walk in the door. And uh, the times are rough. And and the battle is tough. And and the world never is nice to us for very long. You know, Hollywood, New York, uh, D.C. can promise you and me a lot of sweet goodies. We say, oh, great, and we imbibe, but we find out a few days later it was not what it cracked up to be. There are people whose life are in such disarray that they're discouraged. And so that's a part of the profile, the faint-hearted. Uh, then he talks about the weak, thirdly. Uh, the weak here are those who are physically weak. Uh, perhaps uh, someone my age. Yeah, when I come around, Ralph, you want to watch out for me, guys like me. Uh, it takes me with all my wobbliness to get up those steps and uh, the, elder just, the elderly just need help. Uh, the Those that are young in life, children, teens, uh, we're weak physically. And we all can create disturbances in the church. We can put peace in jeopardy. And so the pastors are to be sensitive. The elders are to be sensitive to those physical needs that we have. Uh, but then last of all, fourthly, in his profile, he talks about, uh, it's a generalization here, the word them shouldn't be in the NSV here, it's not in the text, uh, but just to be patient or long on, on patience or long on suffering. Whoa, now this is the hard part of the profile, but I, I personally don't know where you get this smile. You ever seen this guy without a smile? That's a million dollar smile. Uh, always composed, always with stretched out arms. Uh, It looks like he's the indwelling of patience itself. Well, this passage is saying, uh, beginning in verse 15, see that, let's back up it, Uh, help week be patient with all, all people. See that no one repays evil, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another, to everyone. Hmm. Is that ever big? Be patient. Slow to speak. The wrath of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. James 1.19. You know, characteristic of the sin nature, mine and yours, is that it's an angry disposition. Anger is a big part of your life. I was 31 before I ever discovered that. God has to open our eyes to see it. Because of your anger, my anger, you and I have the capacities to destroy our marriages, destroy our jobs, to destroy our church. Destroy our houses. I mean, just a tear I mean, life is ugly. Ray Badgerow, a faculty member, at Goody, who contracted cancer, had a sign in his study long before he ever got cancer, something to the effect that God never promised that life would treat us well. Life hurts. Life is ugly. And it tends to make you and me angry. And like Job, we want to scream at it. Don't revile those who revile you. Whoa. On the cross, Jesus hanging. Father, forgive them, he said, for they do not know. They do not understand what they're doing. Whoa. By nature, people are angry. That's a characteristic of the sin nature. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 we're children of wrath well and the shepherd is always willing to take a sheep to hold it to hug it Listen to this now no matter what it smells like Lynn Anderson wrote a book called They Smell Like Sheep written to pastors it's for pastors think of it beautiful metaphor they smell like sheep I've never lived around sheep herders I've lived around cattlemen I was in a church for a while at one time where a lot of dairymen attended a couple of those guys sang in the choir put them up here I mean they would be they would lather down they told me to change their clothes several times but no one would like to stand by him on, in the choir Whoa! That is that fragrance is hard to get rid of. If you're a cattleman, you'll smell like a cattle, like a, like a cow. If you're around sheep, you'll smell like a flock. And he does. You get a whiff of him. To <laughs> <No, no. laughs> spend time with the flock, you're gonna get close to the flock. You're gonna know the flock. Now listen. Uh, this list of seven things will be quickly, easily treated. Uh, notice what he says in the third part of this passage. It talks about rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, not quenching the spirit, not despising the Bible. He's talking about the Bible. Do not despise prophecies. Not. Those who prophesy, it's not a verb, it's a noun. Don't despise truth. Test everything, number six, number seven. Respond to the good and to the bad. We'll talk about those seven things just briefly. Those both are tools, and this man's tool chest, to use. To make you and me the kind of people who can rejoice always. These These are seven always. Always, number one, choose happiness, rejoice. You know, anger is a choice. My fiery disposition doesn't fire up unless I make a choice, a bad choice. Always rejoice. That's the first always. The second always, always pray. Like a hacking cough not constantly praying. But as you grow in your spiritual life, you'll be uh, expanded in your conscious awareness of the presence of God. I became a Christian. I was age 24. It was years. I could, I could go days. Sometimes I could go weeks in my life and never think about God. It doesn't mean I didn't go to church or read the Bible. I just didn't, didn't you know. Hey, this is the form. Do it. No, no, no. And so as God consciousness comes to you, You brush your teeth, drive your car, spade the garden, whatever you're doing. Be aware of the presence of God. How could you, how could I, with someone so magnificent, I mean God himself, standing right by you and me as we're out there working in the rose garden or driving on the freeway, how could you and I ignore someone like that? And how would we not talk to him? Pray without ceasing. Dig number three, give thanks always. Be grateful. Oh, this is the will of God for you. A car wreck? Sickness? Losing your job? Hey, follow this. God has promised that He is the tester of you and me. Nothing can come into your life because of His shepherding way over us that does not have His permission Everything that Satan did to Job had God's permission. Everything. And some of the things that God allows come to you and me that we need for our sanctification, our change, our growth, our maturity, we don't like and we don't want and we may scream at God because he's not very smart, he's not very loving, but we don't know as much as he does. They're for our good. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7 of the children of Israel out in the wilderness for 40, for forty years. And he says to you to, to, to them, you've been out here 40 years, and you hear this, you have not lacked a thing. What? Come on. Give me a break. You don't mean it. I mean it. You have not lacked a thing. Because I love you, I am Preparing for you, I provide for you, you've not lacked a thing. It doesn't mean life was easy. No, no. So give thanks in all things. Don't quench the spirit. It's it's hey, get this, get this. The Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, is building the church. I don't know if God, the Holy Spirit, is using this sermon or not, but I've got a promise. That God takes that which is good and wise and when it fits with His plans, He, he will use it to build a church. Oh. When what happens in this room doesn't begin to happen when you walk in or when I walk in. It's when God walks in. He may use your prayer or mine. He may use my sermon or one thought in it or He may not. I don't know. Because it's His ministry. Now, Ralph, what we're talking about here are six things that God wants you to come and to preach on and to unfold and to help us to understand it and allow the Spirit of God to move within us in such a way that we believe it. I've forgotten what the next one is. What's number, six? number five, number six? this new Bible, it will be an hour before I can find it. Here it is. (laughs) Rejoice, pray, thanksgiving, not quenching the Spirit, by the way. You see, the Spirit of God is already working. To quench means to stomp out a fire. To buck God. To resist what He's doing. To fight with Him. To not realize His presence, His authority, and to think that you and I have something to to contribute that He might use. Whoa, 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 whoa. all about Him, quenching the Spirit. Now look at this next one. Don't despise prophecy. Don't despise the Bible. Do you read the Bible? Folks who don't read the Bible despise it. Like me with broccoli or spaghetti, you know. Don't eat it. Despise it. Things that we despise, whether it's what we wear or what we eat, or we, we get rid of it, don't we? Or you can have it, have it on the coffee table. You might even brush it off every now and then but if we love it we don't go very long without reading it, meditating on it I can't get enough of it that was always true of my life don't despise prophecy, it's truth you see in the early days when the Bible was being written, God gave people messages but now we've got a completed canon the spirit of God used what's been written and if we are aware of it we will love him and it and want to participate in it and then he says uh, to do some testing don't be naive test everything test this sermon Uh, everything you hear no matter who says it especially if it comes to you on television test it against the scriptures what does God say about it and then respond number seven to hold fast to what is good, to abstain that uh, which is evil. Those are seven ingredients that, for example, if you make a cake, you cook, uh, put a cake together, and it's going to taste yummy. But if one ingredient is missing, or in perhaps thrown in there out of order, it can devastate the whole cake, can it not? You take a basketball team it's bringing the ball down the court, Those players passing the ball back and forth. Each ingredient, each team player is critical. These seven disciplines or seven practices are like team members in your life, my life. They are dependent upon one another and they are syncretistic in terms of the synergism that creates energy and power. And that is the way God brings about As we talk about for the charge of the congregation, respect your your pastor for his work. He's in charge, he is instructing. As we respond to that, we use these seven tools. Uh, As the pastor carries out his ministry of teaching and instructing us, he helps us to understand these seven commodities. And so, what we have is an early passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 of how the Spirit of God does the work of the monastery. It makes it simple, but is it ever huge in terms of its immensity and its importance? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love for your flock and for the shepherds that you place in it to oversee it, to give us guidance, provide protection from the predators but also to provide the nourishment uh, those physical matters that are needed as a flock. We thank you for Ralph and for Chris, and we commend them to you. May your hand be upon them in a wonderful way, and may their rewards be plenty, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.